Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 69. This week, we talk with Sarah Sexton to learn about Node.js and how to get it running in Azure, hacking Amazon's $5 button to track baby data, and the top 10 worst C-sharp features. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have Sarah Sexton. She's a technical evangelist working for Microsoft. She engages with user groups and developers to help them find success building on Microsoft and Windows platforms. And her main technical focus is video games and web development. Welcome, Sarah. How's it going? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And then Carl. So we uh, we had that conference last week, which was a blast, huh? It, it was amazing. I was only there for a day and a half, and it was absolutely cram-packed, but we got to meet some awesome people, and we got a lot of really good feedback from yeah. uh, from last week's episode. So if you like that and want that to continue, uh, just let us know, because we are thinking of uh, going to actually more conferences and maybe potentially doing the same thing there. So if that's something that you'd like us to do, let us know. Yeah, for a million dollars, we will come to your conference and <laughs> set up and record people. <laughs> You got to, you got to, you got to, you know, you got to set the price there, Carl, that yes. way, well, you know, we'll, when we say we do it for free, then they'll, we, they'll we think may, that we're doing a favor. We'll negotiate a bit. <laughs> Did Done you guys zero. include video in that or was it also just audio? It was just, it was just audio, but uh, yeah, we, we just do audio, um, that, which sort of leads into the other thing. So we're, we're actually published on channel nine now, which requires video. Um, so what it does is it actually, I, I had to publish a video. So it just cycles through the photos from that conference. Oh, interesting. Yep. No, we just do audio because we figure a lot of people listen to the show while they're working out or commuting or, or things like that. And that's the feedback we've gotten. So no need to do uh, video yet. But uh, yeah, we had I think we had like seven different uh, guests on the on the uh, the podcast last week. Uh, some really great people, including that 11 year old kid who was uh, was pretty epic. And uh, yeah, we had a ton of feedback from that episode. Oh, what did he have to say? He was actually um, talking about programming for the Raspberry Pi and hacking in uh, in Vim, and uh, it was it was it was pretty awesome. You got to go back and listen to it. The the kid was he was just absolutely amazing. He was an awesome guest. He was one of my favorite people at the conference. Yeah, yeah, he was really cool. Okay, so speaking of feedback, Carl, what did we pick this week for the Infragistics license? This was on Twitter from uh, Chris Martin. He said that he just finished the show from that conference, and he thought there were some great conversations or discussions, especially with Uncle Bob Martin. And it mm-hmm. really made him think about how he writes code. Yeah, that was, a, that was awesome, being able to talk to Uncle Bob Martin. So yeah, Chris Martin, thank you for that comment. We all, we appreciate those. We got a ton of them on the, on the last episode. So there was a ton of competition. Chris wins, uh, the Infragistics ultimate license. And if you want to win that in the future, just reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes reviews, really any way that you can get a hold of us on our website, email, uh, carrier pigeon smoke signals. I think we, we, we accept, we accept them I, all. I watch for those. Yeah. Batman signal. <laughs> I, I, I respond to that. But not voicemail. Not, not yet. No, no. <laughs> Actually, that's funny because uh, I got a text yesterday because I switched AT&T plans. I got a text saying that they basically accidentally deleted my voicemail and uh, said that I'd have to set it back up. And I just said, eh, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a really interesting semi-related to the show uh, voicemail story this week. Yeah. So, so on my Google voice number, it rang this week and uh, I got a collect call on there. So I was like, I'm not going to bother. 
Well, 30 seconds later, I got a text because on my Google voicemail, whenever I get something, it'll transcribe and text it to me. It was a recruiter calling me collect. (laughs) Good luck with that. Yes, (laughs) that is that's that's absurd. Okay, so let's uh, let's jump into the news. Uh, so the first story, how I hacked Amazon's $5 Wi-Fi button to track baby data, which probably explain what these buttons are first. They're these little uh, buttons. I haven't gotten mine yet, but I, I think they have like a sticker on the back. So you can stick this thing like in the laundry room as an example. And every time you push it, I shouldn't say every time, uh, every time it does do some debouncing. So you can't hit it like 10 times in a row. But every time you push it, it will automatically prime that product to you, you know, use Amazon Prime. So you push it and then you'll get laundry detergent, you know, one or two days later. Uh, so this guy hacked it to get um, uh, to get baby data. So you want to explain that? Yeah. So what he did is looking at it, he realized that, you know, these things that they're made to be efficient, they last a long time and they don't have much of a battery to it. Mm-hmm. So he realized what they what happens is it, it's not on and connected to the Wi-Fi all the time. It has to make that connection. And when you make that connection, um, it you know, there's a little protocol that happens and the Mac address is one of the pieces of information that goes through. So what he realizes, one, he wants to use that information as a signal for his own uses, but he also doesn't want to order diapers every time. So what he, what he did is he figured out a way to block that Mac address signal, um, whatever that payload was, um, from going to Amazon and Actually, then registering I, that. I think it still, I think it still goes to Amazon. Cause he said that he just went in there and he like removed the product. Oh, that oh, would order. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That, so it was even it. simpler than so that. So he didn't yeah. even block it. He, uh, yeah. he, for, uh, you just don't do the last step of the setup. You do everything but the last step. Right. So he when when he sees that Mac address on the network, do, making that handshake, uh, he registers, he looks for that and registers that as an entry and has that automated to, I think an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, this is awesome because I've heard of issues with, um, well, babies are complicated, obviously, and <laughs> um, trying to trying to avoid like doing things over and over, like giving them medicine or something like that. Um, uh, this is pretty cool because you could every time you go into the room or every time the baby wakes up, you just hit that button and then it records it. And this was just a, a really clever way of doing this because the button, you know, you didn't have to hack together any hardware. You didn't have to open it up. And it's super cheap. It's five dollars. Yeah, it's five dollars. And he's just got a little script that, that's on the network just sniffing these things. I mean, it was just. It was just really clever because whenever I first saw the title, I was in my mind, I, I figured that he opened it up and and hacked the thing somehow firmware, you know, or some other thing that's, you know, mysterious to us. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty novel. Uh, OK, next one. So Intel open source Stephen Hawking speech system, which is a .NET 4.5 WinForms app that you can try for yourself. Did you try it, Carl? I did not try it. I just I didn't try it. I wasn't, I, just, I wasn't that ambitious. I, I still want to um, yeah. at least look at it, but uh, you know, there's a, a couple cool things here. One is this is actually a new app. It's not something that he's been using forever. Right. And, and and I guess when I heard WinForms, I'm like, oh, they just upgraded something forever and ever. But uh, uh, one of the things was is he was having problems. He could only communicate at like two words a minute or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he really needed something that could go a lot faster. So that's where Intel came in. I, I, I forgot the exact number, but I think he can communicate 10 times faster than previously. Okay. So, I mean, for somebody who's stuck in a chair and, you know, and can't type and can't type, I mean, that's huge. Uh, but I also think it's cool that you can do, you know, all of, you know, the kinds of things he needs to communicate that input just with his disability with a WinForms app. And not only that, but the, 
it's out there for everybody to see and check out themselves. Yep. Open source for the win. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. Having handicap accessibility is something that the internet is stark, starkly lacking in. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff really should be, if it can be open source, that way people can build upon this. And, and the, the reality is like disabilities are drastically different, right? You know, each one is completely different. Like, what the actual abilities are, um, you know, with him, it's, it's so severe, you know, he has almost no control. So being able to have the code for that and be able to customize it if you need to, I think is, um, is pretty cool. Uh, move on. Let's see. Netflix releases Falcor developer preview. So you want to talk about this, Carl? I'll give the high level. Um, so, you know, when you go to Netflix, uh, one of the user experiences you get is everything is there very quickly. And uh, they're open sourcing a JavaScript library for this called Felcor, which is a way for you to get your data sources in a very consistent, easy way to the, to all the clients and be able to access that. It's done via a, a single domain model. So you're not dealing with all sorts of different types called the JSON graph. Mm-hmm. And right now it's still, you know, it's still being worked on in the in the community, but it's out there. You can check it out. It's on GitHub. I, I think there's a lot of really cool innovations here. And then there's also uh, was a story recently. I don't know if we talked about it, about that, the Facebook, uh, what they're doing to you know, speed up uh, caching of images and getting that out there very quickly as oh, well. Yeah. So, so yeah. there's a lot of really cool performance related web technologies that are being open source right now. And yeah, I, I think actually that- they're starting to get intelligent, which is nice. So this thing, this Falcor, I think what's, what's kind of unique about it is that it, it's opportunistic and it, it, it tries to figure out what it should be caching and what it shouldn't be. Cause I've used things. Um, there's a library called a cow or a pouch DB and it works with couch DB. So what you end up doing is in your code, you create a new pouch DB, which is basically an in memory in browser database. And then you can do a bi-directional sync with a, with a server and then you can go offline. But the thing is, all you can do is really say at certain points, like please synchronize right now. Whereas it looks like, this Falcor is a little bit more intelligent where you're just always hitting against your local data and um, it intelligently is figuring out what it's got, you know, what is sort of expired from the cache and what it needs to go get from the server. And I think that's, that's really cool. Not having to sit there and sort of explicitly sync all the time. Uh, what do we got here? If we stand still, we go backwards. What does that mean? This uh, guy, I forgot his name. Oh, Jake Archibald wrote this blog post about uh, how somebody was proposing a moratorium on new features on the web. And (laughs) because things were getting so complex, nobody could understand what's going on. And he brings a lot of really good um, arguments and historical examples that if you start standing still, you're actually going backwards because everybody else will pass you by. He brought brought the example when the iPhone came out. It really didn't do much. And, uh, but it kept improving and it just kept adding and adding and uh, BlackBerry just kind of stood there. They had their user base. They had what they wanted. They stood still and they got passed by. So really you're working against yourself if you're not constantly improving. And I, th- I think that's not just for, you know, the web, the technology, but, you know, even in your careers, you know, this is something not saying that you have to go out and rush to learn all the latest and greatest, but, there should there should be you know some sort of spirit uh, of learning and advancement. Cool. Any comment on that, Sarah? On this article? Oh, I'm getting all philosophical over here about if we wish to <laughs> if we wish to remain the same, we must change. And yeah, just thinking to myself about how Internet Explorer it sounds deep. <laughs> 
Yeah, he all cheese in it. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Carl. Internet Explorer. It it stayed the same for a while and look what happened. No, that's that's a good point. Although, yeah, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, let's let's not talk about Internet Explorer. Let's talk about Edge now. Uh let's <laughs> see, what do we got here? Uh Sharp Regrets, top ten worst C sharp features. So it definitely has a clickbait article or title. But this is uh, Eric Lippert, and this is good stuff. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Eric Lippert was uh, part of the team that helped design and evolve C Sharp. Mm -hmm. So he was there from the, I believe, nearly beginning and was on there up until just a couple of years ago. So he has an extensive knowledge and history of C Sharp. Yeah. And so somebody kind of, you know, asked him, you know, what are some of your regrets with C Sharp? So, you know, a few of these to me are kind of useful. A few of them are, you know, interesting, but, you know, I just thought, you know, it's just always in good to look at what are, is, are the tools that you're using and kind of understanding them better. So uh, one of them is the the first one, number 10, the empty statement does nothing for, for you. So you could actually have a method call that just has a semicolon in there, and that is totally legal. And what's cool about all of these, we're not going to go through all of them, is he en- explains why it was put there and uses, you know, why you might want to use it. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that because what I always end up doing, the, the reason he says you could use this is to actually put a breakpoint there. Yep. And that is one of my biggest pet peeves because you're in, you're in C sharp, you do something and you want to just stop like right after that line of code and you have to put another line of code there. So I always say like var J equals blah or whatever. Right. <laughs> and that's how I get around it. But I didn't know you could just put a semicolon there. Yeah. So, so I mean, I'm actually going to start using that. And, you know, he has a few other things like there's too many ways to define equality. So if you want to ha- say that something's equal to something and you might need to override that, you have to do that. And actually a lot of spots that you pr- probably might not remember to do. So there's not just the, you know, you know, equals equals operators and the not equals, but there's the equals keyword. And then there's the compare to method. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways that you can make those comparisons. And they're all terrible. It's not that there's just a whole bunch of them too. They're just terrible. Yeah. What does equals do? You can't tell me. The reason is there is no one thing it does. Yeah. So that, that's always been my complaint about those those things. Okay, so what else we got in here? So the, the one that I thought was kind of interesting was number three. He says his title for that is irate plus plus a minus minus. Yeah. So to increment an integer, for example, you could do X plus plus, which will, you know, do the same as X plus equals one or X equals X plus one. Yeah. And he says he just really doesn't like that. He says it's just it's easier for you to do that x equals x plus one or not easier but it's it's more clear what your intentions were Mm -hmm. and then there's the difference between x plus plus and plus plus x yeah which is prefix and postfix but he he goes through the entire argument of most people don't even actually really understand what the difference between those are and uh Reading through it, I didn't really understand it either, and I still don't remember what the difference is afterwards. Um, I, I remember, I remember from my C plus plus days because people would use that to their advantage. But no, he I, says I, it's different than in C in C plus plus. Oh, okay, okay. which is even better. I, I I would be okay with abolishing that. I think X plus equals one is just as good. Um, but the X equals X plus one, I think, is terrible um, because you're you're repeating yourself, which is yeah. you know a big no no. Um, any of these other ones you wanted to mention? I guess the, the others are, are extra reading for the listeners. Yeah. I I think let's leave that for you. If you're interested, I think these are all really good to go through, but there's a lot of meat here, a lot of history. And I learned a ton, uh, anytime I read an Eric Lippert article. Yeah. 
No, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing that one up. Uh, and then this one is one that I saw earlier, and it's going to start auto playing. Okay, there we go. Uh, how old school graphics worked, and I found this fascinating. It's a seven minute YouTube video, so that's in, in like uh, old school like TV terms, that's like ten hours of video. <laughs> so uh, it, it, but I watched I watched this whole thing to the end. It was talking about um, like the Commodore sixty four and some of these other uh, uh, computers and and how you would actually have to do computer graphics. And that the reality was there was not enough memory to actually store the value of each pixel on the screen. So they'd use all these crazy tricks to actually keep track of what was what, what was where, you know, by like reducing it or breaking it up into sections. And then some of the limitations of that and the different graphics modes, because I always heard about, you know, these different graphics modes, but I really didn't know what they were talking about. You know, I knew that there was monochrome and four color, 16 color, like those different systems. But these do things like, um, you know, each pixel is actually two pixels wide as an example. And then you can use half the video memory um, and then mixing using like a combination of of different ways to to draw the graphics. And then he showed examples of games and and it was neat because he even showed like, Mar- you know, like Super Mario Brothers. And he actually broke up uh, like some of the sprites in there and how they were made up of uh, of different sprites that were actually put together. Um, so I really recommend watching this video, even though it's uh, seven minutes, which is an eternity long. You just played at double speed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's three and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah, you probably could. You could probably could play it at double speed. Yeah, doing graphics the old-fashioned way is a pain in the butt because if you especially have to write down the numbers of where they are in coordinates on a grid and then convert that into binary and then type all those numbers into the computer, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, did did you did you watch that part in the video here? He yes, actually does that. I did. Yeah. So he showed. Yeah, it was a Pac-Man sprite. And he literally had to sit there and and do some math and come up with, I think, well, I think it was the hex values. And he actually had special paper just to tur- turn in the hex values and then sit there and enter it. And there's no way that you're going to enter those without an error. So that was that was really, really intense. That when was, I was, was in good. college in graphics class, we an assignment was for us to make our own font. And I had mm-hmm. to do that while I made my own font for all 26 letters. <laughs> oh, boy. So maybe they were, maybe you were just like slave labor or something. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> please, please digitize all this for us. You know, my font was really cool. I wish that it was mass produced. Oh, you came up with the, you had to design the whole font and everything, huh? Yeah. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Do you still have it? Uh, I think so. I, and I can do it again, but all the letters were like cube looking. So you, uh, you got to put that on your resume then invented a font font master (laughs) font master (laughs) yeah that's a good spin okay so let's talk to you sarah because that's really why we're here Uh, to give you a little bit of background of why we had sarah on so you know like we mentioned earlier we're down at that conference and sarah was down there as well and uh you had a session it was node.js on azure and it was i heard that it was a completely full house it was standing room only which is pretty cool (laughs) i was I was told that there were over 120 people in that room. Wow. And how many did it seat? Like 15? I forgot to look at the max capacity <laughs> no, number. <laughs> that's, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And, and it's funny because, you know, sometimes we, we look at these new technologies. And, and actually, I mean, Node has been up for a while. But we, lo- we look at these things. They've been around for a while. And, um, you know, people, people sort of move on. And, and there's this whole, you know, after talking to Uncle Bob Martin last week, I mean, there's this whole group of people out there that just haven't even got, they haven't had the time yet to look at these technologies. And I think the attendance of your session really showed that. So, um, so that was cool. 
I was happy, but I was so surprised because, you know, I didn't know it was going to be so popular. But every session yeah. at that conference that was about Node.js had standing room only attendance. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. I guess I'm going to have to start talking about Node.js again. <laughs> oh, so, Sarah, why don't you tell us what is Node.js and what got you interested in it? That's a great question. So let's start by tackling the question of what is Node.js. Mm -hmm. So to put it simply, Node.js is a tool for making web applications using JavaScript. Um, and I can talk about why a, a, a hypothesis as to why it's so popular and how it was invented as well. Okay. Um, so I guess why it's so popular is because JavaScript itself is extremely popular. And anyone who knows that client side in the browser can learn to use the JavaScript in Node quite easily. Um, another thing of why it's so popular is that it includes stuff like built-in HTTP toolkits for easily creating web servers. You can create a single-page website in less than a dozen lines of code. So if you want to get something up and running at lightning speed, Node.js is a really good place to look. It also scales exceptionally well. Uh, a single node process can handle tens of thousands of simultaneous requests before experiencing any performance lag. Mm -hmm. um, so as to how it was invented, Node.js was born when Google took its JavaScript engine called V8, which was written for use in Chrome, and just removed all the browser stuff. Mm -hmm. V8 is a just-in-time compiler, which means it's very fast, and it converts the JavaScript code into low-level CPU instructions before running it, just like you do for C or C++ code. So, yeah, the long and short of it is that Node's a runtime environment and library for running JavaScript applications outside the browser. So if right. you want to do your stuff in the command line, then that's how you do Node.js. Yeah, so if you want to run you know, JavaScript everywhere, so client and server... Node.js is what you want on the server side. Yes, and it executes JavaScript uh, directly from a .js file. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And so what, what got you interested in it? Well, um, you know, it's funny that we talk about how if you stand still, you're actually going backwards. Yeah. Uh, I loved web development in high school and in college. I was all about like HTML and CSS, and I got really good at HTML and CSS, but this whole JavaScript thing... Uh, I never really quite mastered. And so, you know, I finished high school, went through all of college, uh, only took one web development or maybe two in college. And uh, I got a lot of help from friends about like mastering this JavaScript thing. And uh, I realized that I had stood still and fallen behind because JavaScript is basically uh, the, the crowning glory of web development these days. If you don't have JavaScript, then your website looks like it's from the 90s and it's terrible. <laughs> That's funny too, because websites in the nineties use JavaScript to, uh, um, to make like snow and, and eyes that would follow your cursor on the screen. Like that was, that was what JavaScript was basically used for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've come a long way since then. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like a toy language back then. So yeah, it's, it's definitely come a long way. So, uh, my technical focus at Microsoft is video games, but, um, as a technical evangelist, we're supposed to have breadth as well as depth. So I needed to focus on something besides video games. So I just remembered my days of loving web development, and I just wanted to be able to get back into that again. And Node.js was a way for me to get back into web dev again. So why should I, as a .NET developer, care or start looking at Node? Because, you know, I open Visual Studio, I have ASP.NET, and, you know, everything's fine with that. So what's, what's the case for somebody with a .NET skill set? 
Well, there's this thing called uh, Node Tools for Visual Studio. So you can keep on coding in Visual Studio, and uh, this plugin will turn your Visual Studio into a Node.js IDE, but that's after you've already decided that you want to use Node. Mm-hmm. So how do you get to the point where you decide that you want to use Node? I suppose the the big draw is the whole JavaScript enticement. And mm-hmm. it's kind of just fun. When I was learning Node.js and going through the tutorials, uh, they invented these really fun little workshops. And you just type in lines and then you have this instant gratification of seeing what you do right away. And um, there's this this childlike wonder to it, sort of. Uh, I don't know if that's what you're going for, but maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe Jason has something else to say. No, I, I've I've had that that same experience whenever I started using it. I mean, the the reality is, uh, and this is getting better. I think that you know, if you look at like .NET Core, the the onboarding experience is is slowly getting better. But you know, to me, uh, or if you look at if you look at what it takes uh, to do like regular .NET development, like we know like to go get Visual Studio, and we know we know all the right buttons to push, but I can sort of understand the perspective of other people. You know, there's people out there doing Java and they do it in Eclipse or I don't know, there's like three other IDEs that people do Java in. And, and every time I try to look at one of those, I just, I just don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. There's all these, you know, options dialogues that I go through and I don't know what any of the settings are. So I can understand that that's sort of um, intimidating and Node.js. I mean, like you mentioned, it's a, it could be a text file and you can write three lines of code in there. And just run it right from the command line and have something exciting happen. So there's there's that the the um, sort of your discovery phase in that new language uh, gets you get a lot of instant gratification as you go along. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So how does somebody get started with this? Okay, well there are lots of different resources, and uh, I will just jump straight to my favorite ones. Um, my coworker Tim Benrek took me to socket.io the website there's a get started chat application which was one of the first things i went through and it it walks you through how to build an html front page and then how to use the node package manager to install like a bi-directional communication system with sockets and then like you know bippity boppity boop you've got a working chat room and a working front page and things are happening in the back end and uh you're really excited to have a working chat application running and then you can put bootstrap on it to make it look a little prettier than the HTML lets you. Uh, so that's going to socket IO is a great way to get started by building that first chat application. And so once you've mastered that, then you, you can go to nodeschool.io and take a look at the open source workshops that teach web software skills. And like, Oh, there's, Somebody had a really great sense of humor when they were putting together these workshops for nodeschool.io because they they use like internet meme speak. And so you can <laughs> you can install an NPM called Learn You Node. <laughs> and, oh boy. And it's amazing. It's like learn you node for much win. <laughs> oh boy. Does that get does that get tiring after a while? <laughs> no, no. That, this is what I'm talking about. This, 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 let's go. Yeah. This childlike wonder and the way it's just fun to get your hands on Node. Learn Node for much win and uh, do hello world, baby steps, your first IO, your first asynchronous thing. It's like they're they're excited that you're using your yeah. tool and you feel excited. Well, what I love about your answer too, you know, most people would be like, oh, well, first you go to Node.js or whatever and you download the Windows installer and do this, but but I think your approach is much better. It's like, here is something you can build with purpose that will show off the power of node and, and, and what can happen on the client. 
And then you, that sort of backs you into getting all that other stuff, getting it all set up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I feel like it sort of goes without saying uh, that you have to download it first. I didn't know yeah. that you wanted me to start there. <laughs> no, they have. I mean, it's all in the instructions here. So I, I think this is a, a cool way of doing it, just backing into the the things that you need. Um, so what about, um, what about an editor? Like, what do you use to actually edit the files? Yes. See, coming from way back in high school, you would just open up notepad even, mm-hmm. and then, and then they invented notepad plus plus, which had everything else. And some people use sublime, which is, has nice, like scrolling up and down features. So you can see your giant monolith code and where you are in it. And, um, but recently I discovered that Visual Studio Code is like the new Notepad++ for me. It's basically replaced all my other small-time text editors. Uh, I was very skeptical of using Visual Studio Code because I was so disappointed in the name that they decided to go with. Okay. It's like, why, why on earth would you name something Visual Studio Code? That's so hard to search <laughs> for in a search engine. What were you thinking? Yeah, that's true. I usually search for like VS Code. Uh, sometimes I'm a little more fortunate with that. But uh, yeah, I've been loving uh, VS Code. It's yeah, been, it's actually, it's really good. I agree. Setting aside all of the semantic complaints, uh, when you actually open it up, it's intuitive and mm-hmm. it, it's exactly what you need. And it even has these little boxes that show colors. If you have like hex values or color values, it like shows you a preview of what that color looks like. And that blew mm-hmm. my mind. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second. And I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month download the demos and try it today. Yeah. Check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial. So you have nothing to lose. And remember each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS dev show. NPM is something that's pretty integral for node. Can you tell us what that is? It's the official package manager for node. It's like the NuGet to ASP.net. It's the gym to Ruby. Uh, it's just a central repository for all the extensions and third-party libraries, which uh, is pretty monumental because you, when you first get started with Node, you you might be under the impression that you have to sort of code something from scratch. Um, but if you really want to code something from scratch, you'll be redundant because uh, there are thousands and thousands of coders that are just pumping out support code uh, for everything that you could imagine doing. So you just search for a library that does what you want and you don't have to reinvent a wheel. You just 
<laughs> unless you have a crazy original idea, somebody's already done it and mm -hmm. it's already bundled and installed and automatically coming with the environment and you can already find it. So yeah, the NPM is just, uh, it's the, the uh, final puzzle to the, the puzzle of what Node.js is. It's like the cherry on top. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too, I think about Node.js is that you start with nothing, right? So if you, if you don't know anything about NPM, then you are just going to be writing everything yourself. But like you said, once you, once you know NPM, you can bring in all these other libraries and that's sort of, that's the opposite of what we've traditionally been used to in the .NET world. The .NET world says, here's everything you would need and no reason to go anywhere else, you know, unless you need something exotic. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a big, uh, that's an important point for new people to learn. Yes. Um, when I was coding in, in .NET and like doing a, an MVC sort of project in school, a lot of what we were doing was teaching ourselves like the model view controller setup and teaching ourselves .NET and mm -hmm. starting from scratch. And we were just, we felt as students, we felt shackled by just learning the basics, but you can basically break free from these chains by using the NPM in Node.js because it makes it extremely easy to find and use publicly available libraries to accomplish common tasks. You just like, feels like you're flying. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, do you want to walk us through like some of the other stuff you talked about in your conference presentation then? Like what, cause your, yours was called, you know, Node.js on Azure. So, so what was, you know, what else did you talk about in there? Okay. Uh, I talked about the dependencies, you know, speaking of NPM, the package mm -hmm. manager, the dependencies are things that you install that you need to use in your app. And I talked about how Express and Socket.io are these two dependencies and Express is a web framework uh, and Socket.io is the bi-directional communication tool. So I talked about those. Uh, I also talked about uh, once you put your code into GitHub, then how to deploy from Visual Studio, or sorry, how to deploy from GitHub onto Azure using continuous integration. Uh, somehow I managed to do all of this in 30 minutes, which was very impressive. <laughs> And you gave a demo of that, right? Yes, I did. I did. I, I opened up the command line. I switched from my PowerPoint to Node.js in the command line. Uh, I navigated to my folders. Uh, then I created a new folder called that chat to go along with that conference. Mm -hmm. And in the demo, I created a basic chat application. Uh, I I wrote the code. Uh, I copy pasted it, so it wasn't 100% from scratch. But like, I opened up Visual Studio Code. I copy pasted my HTML web page that serves out a form and a list of messages. Uh, using Express. Then I created the package.json file. And if you guys don't know what the package.json file is, it's the manifest file that describes your project. It has the name like socket chat example, has the version like 0.0.1, a description like my first socket IO app and the dependencies. And the dependencies you can put, you can start out as blank and then use the npm install uh, dash dash save socket.io and it will automatically populate your dependencies empty space with Socket.io after you install it. Mm -hmm. So I demonstrated the magic of how NPM works like that. Um, um, do you think that I should explain in more detail what Express and Socket.io are, or can I glaze over that? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I think I think we should just mention what they are. So what are each of those? Okay, um, let's see here. So, so Express, let's start with that one. 
you yeah um implementing express is what you do when you want to use multiple templating agent or sorry engines to generate html and one of those mm-hmm. is jade uh i didn't use jade in mine because i was okay with just normal html but like what jade does is it takes away all the angle brackets and simplifies the code and it just generates clean code no matter what you type um like I said, it's a web framework that lets you structure your web app to handle multiple different HTTP requests at a specific URL. What that means is like most URLs end in the forward slash. Uh, mm-hmm. like, And then after the forward slash, sometimes you'll type like about or home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then that's how you can tell your website to handle different HTTP requests, but still at the same URL. Right. Because handling all of that yourself is kind of a hassle, right? Because you're you don't want to be running like a raw HTTP server. You want to be able to, you know, operate at a, a little bit higher level and say, listen, when the user requests this path, what I want you to do is I want you to take this view and I want you to take this data. You know, it's kind of an MVC pattern. And I want you, you know, to mash these things together and then serve that up to the user. Right, right, exactly. Yep. So that's Express. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were also going to talk about Socket.io. So what does that do for us? Yes, yeah, Socket.io is a simple JavaScript library and Node.js module that allows you to create real-time, bidirectional, event-based communication apps simply and quickly. Mm-hmm. And it simplifies the process of using web sockets significantly. Uh, when you implement Socket.io, it's what you're doing to connect, send, and receive messages. So this was key for that chat application. That's why... So they had that as a demo, right? This is what gives you that real time. Is one hundred percent key. Without yeah. it, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, without it, you have to sit there. You have to hit refresh uh, to see the other person's message, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you actually get this up and running in Azure? So, if I built, you know, you built that chat application, how do you actually get it into Azure? Okay. All right. So, well, it needs to be on the internet somewhere, uh, or actually, you can do it locally from Git. It doesn't have to be on GitHub. You can, you just go to Azure.com and you click on the portal button. And of course, you'll need a subscription to Azure in order to use the portal. But assuming that you have one of those, when you click on the portal button, it, it will take you to your portal where all of your Azure things live, if you have any. Then you can click on a dashboard. Actually, I think you have to create a new web page first, and then when mm-hmm. that web page is created, then you can go to its dashboard. So all you have to do is like click the plus button and click on uh, "Quick Create" and select "Web App." And, and those and those can be free, right? Oh. You can pick. You can just start with like the free version, right? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I believe, depending on your subscription, I'm pretty yeah, sure so those you- can be free. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you can put that out there. So without any cost to you, and there's obviously limitations on the amount of traffic you can have, but you know, I put a lot of free stuff or I, I, I put a lot of stuff on Azure and it doesn't cost me a penny because it's just, you know, examples that I want to put out there. Exactly. So yeah, there are, there are lots of ways to get your Node.js model running in Azure. You can use the command line, you can use like Azure command line, which is a thing that exists, but you have to install it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go through the new portal or the old portal. And any any of them work. So mm-hmm. let me see here for a second. And then did you did you push it with Git or did you use GitHub? How did you do it in your demo? In my demo, I created a new repository on GitHub.com, mm-hmm. and I showed them how to hook it up to GitHub. And uh, the way you do that is you um, uh, after you've created your GitHub repository and you know give it a name that matches what your code is. And you name it the master branch. You know, you do all the Git stuff, which mm-hmm. I can also talk about. Um, let's see here. You uh, 
you just go to um, the dashboard of the web app that you just made, and in the quick glance section on the right side, there's a an option that says set up deployment from source control. Mm-hmm. So that is the key to doing this. It'll open up a new window, uh, and it'll have like GitHub, local Git, Bitbucket, Visual Studio Online, uh, a few repository options. Like yeah, there's even thing, there's even one in there like Dropbox, which I know is is kind of silly, but it's kind of a neat demonstration as well. I I did that uh, a while back whenever that first came out. Uh, basically, just throwing an HTML page in the Dropbox and then having it magically show up on Azure, which was kind of neat. Yes, I agree. Don't do that in production. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why anyone would, but you know, yeah, it's there. Well, we got to warn them. Yeah. Uh, and that results in continuous deployment, uh, where Azure will pull in the most recent updates from your GitHub repository and refresh your page. Yeah, and that's the coolest part, right? So as you as you version your chat application, it's automatically updating Azure. Like you don't even have to log into Azure again, do you? You can just let it run. Exactly. Yeah, that's the magic of it. Yep. It's it's useful for when you have multiple people working on a project and you want to ensure that the latest version is always published regardless of who made the most recent change. Or uh, it's also useful if you're using an online tool as the central repository for your application and you're just developing it solo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to bring up too, um, talking about Node running on top of Azure, this is this is sort of getting into the weeds, but I know that that Node is is single threaded and it only runs on a on a single core. So one thing I wanted to mention to our listeners was how how Node actually works in uh, in Azure, and it uses something called IAS Node. So it you are still using Azure is basically using IAS as the front end, and then it's dispatching those off to different Node processes. So it will automatically um, you know fan that out to those Node processes, and you don't have to really worry about any of this. Uh, but it makes it really easy for you to just you know, get your application in there and then not really worry about the the details about how that's working. And um, it works, it works incredibly well because you can still configure IAS to do like caching and compression and those types of things because it's just sitting in front of Node. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to mention. So you're saying the letters IAS, right? IIS. IIS? Yep. Yeah, the Internet Information Server. Nobody calls it that, but IAS. Okay. I, yeah, it's, it's hard to say it quickly. It does sound like IAS now that I hear myself. Sorry, just wanted to clarify because <laughs> I was having a little trouble understanding yep. it. So actually, if you search the internet, if you really, if you want to understand, and it's probably a good idea to, if if you start to put stuff in production, um, search for IIS node and you will find the project that um, basically shims, you know, node into IIS and ultimately Azure is using that um, to host node up there and to actually um, run it. Looks like Scott Hanselman has some web pages on that. Uh, of course, of course. Have you guys interviewed <laughs> him too? Yeah, we have. Yeah, he's got. Uh, he he's becoming like the can- canonical web for developers. I think he's. I think he's filling in like the final developer topic, so that anything you search on, uh, he's got a good article on it, <laughs> which is awesome because he usually explains it in a good way. So, what about an existing Node project? Can I just throw that in GitHub and and point Azure at it? Let me see. An existing node project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I believe that's what I did. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean, really, it's, I guess whenever, whenever you think about it, there's no such thing as a new node project, right? It has, you know, <laughs> it's node, it's new to GitHub at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. This next question is essentially asking what you're working on. But one of the things I'd like to bring up in particular is in the links that you sent us, uh, you have this link to shebuildsgames.com. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, because that just, it, it looked really awesome. And I'd just like to get a little bit more 
you know, just not only information, but a little bit more word out about it as well. Oh, thank you so much. I would love to talk about this. This is yeah. sort of a, a pet project that I started. Uh, it's just a WordPress website where I type up and transcribe interviews I do with female game developers that I find that are willing to do interviews with me. Uh, I don't have any audio or video versions of them yet, but uh, for my Channel 9 channel, I called that one She Builds Games also, and that's going to be like sort of a video version of whatever I want to do that I don't type up on SheBuildsGames.com. Um, the whole point is sharing thought-provoking stories of real women game developers to inspire the next generation. That's what the tagline is, and... Um, it, this is like my mission, this is my cause, this is my passion, is finding a safe way to involve more women in the game development industry mm -hmm. and make it a more welcoming place for minorities and underrepresented communities. Not just women, uh, like people of color and people with disabilities and all, everyone who's you know queer or transgender or just doesn't really fit the normal stereotype of the male dominated industry. Yeah, this is, uh, this is really cool. You have a ton of content out here too. Yes. I'm uh, just scrolling I, down. Is this like, it must be like infinite scrolling here. Uh, yeah, I think infinite scrolling is. Oh, uh, okay. But if you go, like, when go I first looked at it, it looked real short and then I'm sitting here scrolling down. I'm like, man, there's just like dozens and dozens of uh, posts on here. This is really cool. Yeah. Uh, at the, if you go back to up to the top on the right side, you've got links to all the people I've interviewed. Yeah. This is, uh, this is really cool. Yep. Yeah, uh, there, yeah, this, nice work. There's 10 interviews. Uh, I try to do one every month. I still got to get one out for August. Uh, okay. I've got a little bit of a backlog. Yeah. Um, thank you. I'm glad that you appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just, you know, there's, a, you know, a nice graphics there. So that brings you in, but the, you know, and then it's also in the, you know, question and answer format. So it's just something that's really easy to follow as well. Yeah. I, the, the site, it, I mean, each post itself, I, you have a, definitely have like an eye for design here because I think it's normally I, I, my stuff is usually pretty boring because it's just uh, text. And then I try to throw some images in, but uh, just like the, the visual aspect of this too, it, it, it's really cool how you've called out certain things in here. I, lo I love it. Thank you so um, much for the feedback. Yeah. So speaking of games in, in node, I'm just kind of curious, are you, you know, is there an intersection between Node.js and this gaming passion that you have? Are you trying to figure out how to do some games in Node.js or in JavaScript in the browser? I'm sure if I put my mind to it, I could figure out a way. <laughs> okay. uh, they could probably do a text-based adventure game in Node.js right there in the console. Yeah. There's also, there are some browser-based gaming frameworks too that you could take a look at if you wanted to uh, to use those. And I think that makes the, the stuff really accessible, being able to send somebody just a, a URL is a cool way to do it. Oh yeah, not having to make them download anything to play your game. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to mention or anything else you're working on? Well, uh, speaking of female game developers that I interact with locally, there's voxels.com. Okay. And we'll make sure that we include that in the show notes. So yeah, uh, basically the same thing as she builds games. Uh, I interview like anybody as she builds games, no matter where they are. Uh, mm -hmm. voxels is Chicago local women in game development and, uh, we're a new group. We're fostering gender diversity in the video games industry. Uh, we're creating, we're attempting to create positive change through events like workshops and advocacy programs. So we want to like find these women who are maybe intimidated to get into games and have a safe sanctuary space for them and have workshops that are n no pressure and easy. Okay. Very cool. Yep. So we're on meetup and we're on Facebook and uh, we, we also have a, 
uh, an account on itch.io or, or itch.io, however you pronounce it. But we, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I never know how to pronounce any of those. We do game jams. We had a Mother's Day game jam where we made games about mothers because there's a lot of games about fathers, but not many about moms. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that's our mission, like trying to diversify the games industry without getting death threats. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So let's talk about the Azure pick of the week. So this is uh, Windows Server 2016 containers preview, and we'll have a link to this in the show notes. But um, this is something that I'm just finally starting to explore because I think this is really hitting critical mass. I mean, containers have just been exploding, not literally, but containers are exploding <laughs> in our industry. And um, uh, so now Windows Server is 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 joining that club. And, and what's kind of neat about it is there's actually some integration in here in, the, in like Visual Studio where you can actually take your application and, and ultimately... Uh, I I believe because this would ultimately run on IIS, you could, uh, for example, publish your Node.js application into a container, and then you could run that container locally, and then you could move it on your server. You know, have it go through staging, dev test, you know, whatever. Um, and having the the Windows Server support is pretty cool. So I mean, having your application in a container is providing a certain level of isolation and portability. Um, so I will include a link to Scott Goo's blog post in the show notes. Uh, Carl, what do we have for the app of the week? Uh, the app of the week this week is a third-party Nest client called Cozy, and it's for uh, uh, Windows, uh, Windows 10, and Windows Phone. So if you've got any one of those clients, he's got uh, a version for you. And I have a Nest thermostat, and it's something I just found this week, and it's really nice, really simple, um, and it just makes it as easy to use as the Nest thermostat itself. Excellent. Okay. And then dev tip of the week, which apparently got promoted from dev tip of the random interval. So now you're committed. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to, uh, you know, jump right into it too much because I didn't know how much content we get out there, but it seems like we're finding something every week. So yeah, I, I think we can commit to it. Yep. <laughs> so I thought I'd help you out this week. I found, I found this feature accidentally. Um, cause I always install seven zip on all my machines. Uh, it's awesome for doing zipping and unzipping. It's really quick. Uh, and if it, it supports pretty much any kind of archive format, uh, what I noticed this week, I, uh, I guess sort of inadvertently installed the beta, uh, the latest beta version of that. Um, cause they have that prominently displayed. I think they want people using the beta. I downloaded it and, um, I didn't even realize it at first, but in my right click context menu in Explorer, there's actually an option to generate CRC slash hashes of files. So what this is good for is I was having issues installing uh, Windows 10 on a machine, as an example, um, which is kind of a weird story. I had to unplug the DVD drive. I don't know if I mentioned that on the show that fixed it. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that that image was uh, that I downloaded the ISO that I downloaded was actually had the correct hash. And MSDN provides, you know, an, uh, a SHA-1 hash for all the files. Um, so basically you can right click on a file. Now, if you have uh, the seven zip beta installed, uh, have it get the, the SHA one hash for you. You can compare that to what's up on the website and you can make sure that, that basically no bits in that download were altered, uh, which is really cool. So you can make sure that nobody's, you know, intercepting that, um, or more likely that, you know, Chrome or edge or whatever, or, or your internet connection just kind of blipped and, and for whatever reason, the error correction didn't pick up and it just corrupted your ISO for some reason. Uh, so I thought, I just thought that was a really cool addition to that product. And then you have one as well, don't you, Carl? Yes. Uh, we already talked about VS code earlier. And one of the features that, uh, got added in the most recent update was, uh, markdown preview support. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anybody who's listening to the show knows that our website is used, uh, uh, generates HTML from Markdown. And uh, so I use it quite a bit. And now that uh, you can now preview Markdown in VS Code, um, you can either hit Control Shift V to toggle back and forth between the two, or you can just open uh, a vertical tab, hit Control Shift V on that other tab, and then you can have a, a view that syncs up. Yep. And this was like the only reason I had Adam IO installed. So it's uninstalled now. Yes. So I'm and so happy that they brought this in. Yeah. Before I was using uh, what's that a markdown pad two, but there's some cad- compatibility issues with uh, uh, windows 10 and you had told me to switch to Adam IO and I was not happy with that at all. Yeah. And this, this does the trick. Yep. Hold on. Excuse me for a second. I, uh, I had a coughing fit and can you just repeat, like, what are you saying about <laughs> tabbing back and forth? It sounds interesting. No, in, in, in visual studio code. Now, if you're, if you have markdown, do you do anything with markdown? I, I suppose not. Okay. Well, if you do anything in, in markdown, like the readme files for like GitHub, uh, you can open up another, um, you know, a side by side pane in visual studio code, and you can basically turn this on and view a live preview of your Markdown file. So you're editing Markdown on the left and on the right, you're seeing the HTML uh, rendered output. Oh, okay. I love stuff like that. Yeah. No. So it's like a WYSIWYG editor for Markdown. And, and there was one, yeah, there was Markdown. What was it called? Markdown pad. And I don't know, it always has issues. Um, Adam.io was kind of silly installing an entire program uh, that wasn't meant to do that to, to do it. So this is perfect because I already use Visual Studio Code a lot. This is what I edit the Markdown in and I get the live preview right there. So very happy about this one. So, Sarah, we play a game on this show, and I don't think you've heard this before, so this will be a surprise to you, but that's okay. This is a game for kids, but what oh, I need boy. you to do is I need you to pick a number between one and four. Two. Two, okay. Let me shuffle the cards here first. Okay. Number two, and then you get to answer this question. Would you rather have... <laughs> this is for kids. Uh, would you rather have body odor that can be smelled from across the yard or be just as hairy as a gorilla? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, both of those would be offensive to yeah. everybody. Um, yeah. gosh, as long as as long as I could still lead a fulfilling life while being as hairy as a gorilla, I I might pick that one because I can think of some functional practical uses to having yeah. a coat of fur. Yeah, and there's some options like, there. Yeah, you have options. I mean, you could like join a circus. Yeah, like maybe I I could pick the color and I could I could use some conditioner and comb it and put some ribbons in it. Maybe I could make it look pretty. And uh, yeah, like I said, as long as, as long as I don't get shunned and as long as I can still be accepted by society. <laughs> okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. I'll pick one. One. Okay. Would you rather be friends with a witch or a giant? A giant or a witch. Uh, you know, the, there's benefits to both. Um, yeah. As, as long as they're your friends. Um, I, I can see like witches, you know, they can cast spells. So there's a lot more possibilities there. So for the greedy aspect, you know, you get more out of knowing a witch, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Cause a giant, I mean, all they can do, uh, they just consume a lot of resources and, uh, and they can beat up people for you and they can get things on the tall shelves if you're short. Yep. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I think, I think there's all upside and there's really no downside there. I mean, other than, you know, I guess if it's like a bad witch, but she's your friend. Well, yeah. She, so she's your friend, but she's like a bad person. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Jason, did you have to answer a question? No, no, he I, I, no I, I, I'm exempt. Do you want to ask me one? I can kind of put, I can put the card in front of the camera if you yeah, want to ask me yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. I'm not going to, I'm not looking at it. 
Okay, well, let me pick a number. I'm going to pick four, okay? So you got to tell me if I got to flip the card around. Okay, I see the four. It's good. Would you rather okay. eat a small can of cat food or seven entire lemons, even the seeds, pulp, juice, and rind? Ah, uh, seven lemons. Let's see here. I'm just trying to think. <laughs> uh, I would I would think the lemons. I don't know what kind of quality controller is on that cat food. But it's just you it's know, one just small can. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't know what's in it. I, the the lemons, like, I know that I'm going to be fine. Like seven lemons, my body's going to be like, yeah, that's pretty normal. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, moving on. Okay, Sarah, so where can people find you? Well, that depends on who they are and what. <laughs> yeah. What, what your address is? The, uh, what What about me? Do they want? How about Twitter? Oh, How about Twitter? Twitter's great. Yes, I have two Twitter handles. Uh, one is Salia, S A E L I A, and the other is for she builds games. So you know she builds games. Okay. Perfect. And uh, looks like Carl's been collecting a whole bunch of different links there. So we'll have all your links in the show notes. Hooray. Uh, C- Carl, where can people find you? You can find me. On Twitter at Carl Schweitzer or at WPDevGuy.com. Okay. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about Node.js and uh, and deploying it to Azure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 